Hello, and welcome to another episode of Redefining Family. This is your host, Jonathan Wilson. And this next episode is actually called Learning to Love Yourself. It's uh, somewhat timely, I guess, to a certain extent. I somehow ran into my dad's, one of my dad's best friends, three times this weekend. It's really distracting in part because the first time he asks, oh, so how's your father? He knows how my father is and he knows I'm not talking to him. So how awkward is that? Then second time, he didn't say anything. Third time, though, he says, you know, you can end this thing. End this thing. This is like a complex, (laughs) this is a complex issue that's happened over the course of 30 plus years, 35 years to be exact. And it's not something you just quite end. So there's got to be more than one person that's willing to be involved in that ending. And then on top of that, it's really got to be a lot of listening and loving. And, you know, there's just so many things that make it complex. And the fact that I almost died or, you know, I was driven to want to kill myself or allowed them to play with my head to the point where I wanted to kill myself also makes me feel a little sort of some kind of way, right? So the idea of me just ending this thing just sounds ridiculous. So anyways, I'm feeling a little upset about that, but I'm moving on. Anyways, let's go ahead and do the intro for our next guest, who is a funny guy. His name is Calvin Cato. Anyways, take it away. Talk soon. Bye. Oh my God, I'm so excited about my next guest, Calvin Cato. He's a comedian, storyteller, and rare times actor based in New York City, which, where I used to live, by the way, he has been heard on Sirius XM and has appeared on Oxygen, National Geographic, Netflix, in a pilot for Vice Media called Emergency Black Meeting. I've had emergency black meetings all my life. He has performed in numerous festivals, including San Francisco Sketch Fest, Flamecom, Brooklyn Pride, Women in Comedy Festival, and the Gotham Storytelling Festival. In 2017, Capital was named one of Times Out New York's Queer Comics of Color to Watch. I love that. Most recently, he has been published in... Queendom, an anthology of queer comedic essays. He recently wrapped up hosting and producing a daily online comedy talk show on RushTix.com called The Calvin Cato Show. Well, welcome, Calvin. That is quite the bio. That's kind of fun. You're definitely heavy in the comedy. Sometimes people call themselves comedians. You're like, mm, what have you done? They're like, I just, I, I'm a comedian with my friends. <laughs> you, know, you, got, you got cred. You got receipts. <laughs> well, I try. I'm not one of those. Oh, I'm funny at the water cooler. Oh my god, I have such crazy stories about watching Friends. That's not me. <laughs> no, you're you're legit. I am excited to have you. So. On here, we talk a lot about what family means, the definition of family versus blood relatives. You know, you can be related to anybody. But family is something you have to choose because just because you're related to somebody does not mean that they're family. So your sister may not be family to you. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your coming out and what that was for you. And maybe, maybe like, maybe even walk us through kind of like your childhood a little bit and 
Did you know you were gay when you were a kid? You know, it's, it's so funny. I actually, uh, yesterday I did a show in Southington, Connecticut. And it was like, because yeah. Southington, they do their pride in May. It was really interesting. Like pride. Pride. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a pride before it gets too hot and swampy, basically. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> but what was interesting was that, I mean, obviously there are a lot of queer people who are there, but there were a lot of like people who are parents of queer people. And there's this woman who came up to me after the show and she was like, I'm just so grateful that you came here to do the show because Southington, it's a relatively small city. And, you know, with smaller cities, there's not like, there's no real like gay or pride scene. And so this woman was telling me, she was like, you know, my son is trans. And she was talking about like the whole process of basically like helping them to feel like their true selves. And she was telling me that she found like a trans camp in New Hampshire where it's all just trans kids to go to camp and like it's like a summer camp. And I don't know, it just really started making me think about my own childhood. That's a weird term, like, trans camp. Like I had to digest that when you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> a trans camp, right? <laughs> that doesn't sound very good, but then when you describe it, it sounds a little better. Okay, I'm listening. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, I realized it too. As I said, as it left my mouth, I was like, ooh, this is going to sound very like Final Solution-y and that's not what it is <laughs> at all. I'm going to tra- I'm going to get you trans. Um, anyways, keep going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my bad. Really should have readjusted that one. Um, <laughs> no. The whole point is be real, right? Yeah. <laughs> But it's, it was so interesting because, like, it made me think about my own childhood. And it, I was like, wow, that's so wonderful that there's, like, this supportive, like, group of people. And, like, parents are super supportive because, like, my childhood was not exactly like that. I mean, I didn't really know what queer was growing mm-hmm. up because my parents were are immigrants. So my parents are from the Caribbean. And so it's just a very different experience in terms of openness and stuff. And I mean, even yes, so my dad's Jamaican, my mom is Haitian, and you know, they back then were not the most welcoming. <laughs> we can say that, yeah, it was difficult because I didn't really know kind of what that gay was, and I think that I was growing up like kind of like in the 90s, very late 80s, early 90s. And there wasn't a lot of even stuff on television that would help me. Do you remember the 80s? Very vaguely. I mean, I remember Tear Down This Wall, basically, and that was it. Yeah. Like, when people say they grew up in the 80s, 90s, if you don't remember the 80s, you grew up in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it turned out right. like December 1989, because I remember it very well. <laughs> Anyways, keep going. (laughs) You know, you're right. That's fair. I existed in the late 80s. I remember the 90s. (laughs) Let's say that. But, you know, I like there are things that I gravitated towards and I didn't understand. Like, for example, I love Tu Wong Fu. I thought it was such a great movie. I love Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And I really remember, I love the Bird Oh my God, I remember that movie. That was a great movie. Yeah, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was a great movie. Anyways, keep going. I, it was super awesome. And it was interesting too, because like that was like, Probably the first movie I saw that like had a character who was supposed to be trans. Yeah. Um, although I didn't, you know, I had no concept of that. But it was interesting just growing up. Like I would see these things. I'd be like, oh, like that seems fun and cool. But I didn't 
my brain didn't connect it with gay because I didn't know. And we didn't have like, I don't think we had like a real dialogue for helping kids to understand what gayness was. I remember reading this fact about the birdcage. I love the birdcage. Nathan Lane was technically not out, even though, you know, we knew he was gay, but that's crazy to me. But that's kind of how the conversation was at the time. Is that like, it was something where it was like, he's just an interior decorator. And like, you just didn't like ask further questions. So for me, (laughs) 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 you know, like it was just like always coded or it's like, Oh, he's a dressmaker. And we just don't ask more questions. And you're like, well, that's not really helpful to understand the experience. So I remember, I think I didn't start to realize I had feelings until like I was probably in high school and the high school I went to was like predominantly white. Like I was one of very few black kids at the school. So that kind of puts an extra layer of pressure where you're already like, okay, I'm like one of the few black kids here. And then to that. Yeah. I'm I know. I'm like, wow, that's literally me. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> so you know how it is. I mean, as it is already, you're feeling so many other like shitty questions and stupid things about like, oh, like affirmative action or like let's talk about like OJ Simpson, all that kind of annoying shit. <laughs> So I kind of was understanding it and I didn't realize it until I remember I <laughs> I had this like small friend group and I, two of the people in the friend group was a guy and a girl and they had a crush on each other, we thought. And so I wrote a sex story about them that was like really horrible. <laughs> you wrote a sex story? Like them having sex? Yes. Like full on sex story and it's, you know, horrible because like I was a virgin and like didn't understand how sex worked so like i remember i described like a woman's breast yeah it was nipples. i literally did say supple it was in there so the things that like you should like you should bring back to like life i don't know anyways go on <laughs> I agree. I think we need to bring back supple. We need to bring back resplendent. That was in there. You know, I said I described a woman's breast as feeling like ripe apples. So, you know, it's really doing well. (laughs) I'm sure most women listening are going to be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) If your breasts feel like ripe apples, then you have a problem. (laughs) Yeah. You're... you're (laughs) The breast job wasn't done very well. <laughs> because there are some women that do have ripe apples, and it's called like the really bad silicone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. No, have a mammogram. Like it's not good. No, you're gay probably right around then. <laughs> yeah. Ripe apples. <laughs> I'm sure that was kind of when I was realizing it. No, 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 it's true. When you're comparing rest to produce, like it's not really working out. <laughs> I do have to say I like breasts. I like breasts a lot. I do too. Like I'm not one of those like I I always don't like when like cis gay men get very like misogynistic about that kind of stuff. I think that all bodies are beautiful. It's just more a matter of, you know, it's like what you're attracted to. Like, I mean, yeah. I I think breasts are great. 
Breasts are great. Vaginas are great. Every body part is great. I don't know about vaginas. I love a dick. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, you know, that's maybe me. (laughs) And it's me too. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember, like, I showed the sex story to my friends and they absolutely fucking hated it. Of course they did. But then I had another friend, another guy friend of mine, I showed him the story. Wait, hold on. Did you, expect, like, did you expect them to say this is great? Like, I thought you were just doing this for fun. <laughs> you showed the story because you wanted feedback? What did you yes, think? I thought I was Danielle Steele. I really thought I was killing it. I was feeling myself. <laughs> and they were not. Oh, wow. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Also, yeah, I was 14. I didn't know any better. You know, Dawson's Creek was on. I was trying to be experimental. Whatever. It was bullshit. So I showed it to my other friend and he was like, oh, I think this is kind of, you know, there's room for improvement here. And then we ended up hooking up after the story. (laughs) So we ended up hooking up in the stairwell in high school. And that was like kind of my first experience. And at the time I was so like, what does this mean? I was like all freaked out. And then I just kept doing it. But you tell those like kind of lies to yourself where you're like, oh, this is just like a phase because he's my friend. And this is what really good friends do, you know, (laughs) those kinds of lies. Yeah. (laughs) So then, okay, so that was like your coming out to yourself, right? So you were 14, you said? Mm -hmm. So then tell me more about like, okay, so when did you end up coming out to your parents? So like, that was like, it was like such a more complicated experience because I, you know, was doing that. And then I remembered I went off to college and when I went to college, I was like very in denial and I was going to reinvent myself as a straight man. And that didn't work out. Yeah, I thought and, uh, I, that too. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to just, every new experience, like I can just turn my own future. Yeah. Keep going. Oh yeah. Like I'm sure you're familiar. I'm, I'm from listening to past podcasts. Like I've heard other people who are like, I was bisexual. And like, you know, you do that whole phase of your Queer career, if you will. This is very bad for the bi community. I believe some people are, are truly bisexual. But, you know, when I was coming out, it was a time period where there was like a buy now, gay later plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, that's the whole thing is you cushion the blow or you like, you try to hedge your bets where you're like, well, if I say that I like vagina occasionally, then like maybe I'll go back there. You know, you're not getting off that exit. Power of mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, keep going. But yeah, I mean, but in terms of my parents, I mean, I was just always really worried because like my parents were not really open. Like I would say my mom was more so than my dad, but my dad was very like pretty homophobic growing up. And like, I remember he like, this is a while ago, he like had sat me down and had a talk where he was like, you know, if you were gay, I would never allow you back in the house, et cetera. So, you know, I think it was really scary to broach that topic. And so I remember like I I came home from college, this was probably, I mean, sophomore, no, junior or senior year. And I was going to have a whole plan to like tell them. And then I got very scared and didn't. And I think that also part of the problem was that I wasn't really, I think that for myself, I wasn't even really ready to like come out to friends or other people. So I remember like getting close to the precipice and then I like just stopped myself and I didn't say anything. 
And then I had to learn how to come out, period. So in a way, that kind of was what drew me to stand-up comedy because of stand-up, because I was like on stage. And at first I was like not even out on stage. I would just tell these jokes and like be very neutral about things and use like the pronoun game. And I would say that it first had to start by coming out to friends. So I started doing that. And obviously friends are very supportive and I went to a very liberal college where we had like, you know, queer leaders instead of cheerleaders. So like, you know, it made the whole process a lot easier to do that. So are you comfortable saying where you went to college? Oh yeah. So I went to Wesleyan University. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not in that chair. It's like super, you know. Yeah. So instead of chairs, they they were like called queer leaders. So they would dress up in like gender non-conforming clothes and like swing flags and like do all the like cheerleading routines. It was really cute. I liked it. But yeah, so I uh, started coming out to friends and it went pretty well. And like, you know, and I think that it kind of made me closer to my friends. It made my friends feel more like my family. But in terms of my actual family, it was really hard because I also, again, having West Indian parents. So I was originally studying to be a doctor. I wasn't, my plan was not to get into stand-up comedy. So we had like a big rift when that came out. And I think it was hard because my parents were already so not accepting of like my choice of career and goals that it made it even more difficult to like properly come out. And like in general, we just didn't talk for a while, which was a bit sad, but then made me kind of have friends as family and sort of like you were saying before, like kind of have this own self-formed family, which was really helpful, I would say. Yeah. It's so interesting because people use the term chosen family and I like I really hate that term because if someone's family, like that's who they are. <laughs> you know, like there's no other yeah. term. <laughs> right? Like why do you have to qualify your family? <laughs> but yeah, I I love Exactly. That. And so then here you are in college, you have you've completely, I guess, not come out to your parents yet, but you've started telling some of your other family members, you know, friend family that you were out. What does that mean though for when you actually came out to your parents? So for me, it was good because it just gave me a very good base and a good sense of sort of like, I guess, a nice foundation, if you will. Because for me, like, again, one of the things that was so scary about coming out to my parents was just the matter of Will I be rejected? Will I not like have any more like love in my yeah. life? If that makes sense in yeah. terms of like, you know, because your parents are the people you grow up with and they raise you and you always expect them to have your back. And so yeah. for me, that was kind of the scariest thing, which is why it was helpful for me to come out to friends because so that I knew like, okay, like I don't have to feel isolated and alone. Like I knew I had like a rock and a base. So that made it a lot easier and better. Of course. My mom was like pretty accepting. I did not get to come out to my dad officially. So what was the story when you came out to your mom? Like, did you tell her like, did you blur it out? <laughs> what did you <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish I could say it was even very exciting. It was just kind of pretty matter of fact. I mean, again, I, I wish I could say it was like something exciting or anything, but it was just a matter of fact thing. And she just kind of knew. And 
we just kind of like weirdly moved forward. But then I didn't tell my dad, which was really kind of shitty and sucky. And I had planned to, but then my dad, unfortunately, he got terminal cancer. And I actually ended up spending a lot of time. I had to help him with chemo in terms of I would drive yeah. him back and forth from the hospital back home. And in general with my dad, it was always a bit more strained just because our lifestyles were so different. I right, think that right. it was hard for me to talk to him. But then while we were in the car, we actually, because we had to spend like five days a week together, it was very helpful in terms of, I would actually get to like, just talk to him about all kinds of stuff. And like, I think that we got to have a better understanding of who we were as people. Yeah. And yeah. my dad, he worked as like, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, I, mean, I don't know if you and your dad have a close relationship or we're good, but like, I don't know. I feel like with my, my dad, there's a lot dad, of macho. That's very not close. Yeah. No, we, I had to let go of my, my father four years ago now. I, I haven't seen him since February of 2018. And then I officially cut the ties in 2019. So you got to do it. <laughs> Sometimes. <It's- Unfortunately. laughs> You got to protect your peace. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. You can love someone from afar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was so funny because with my dad, so when we were spending all this time together, I was like, okay, like this will at least be a moment where I can do that. And it was so interesting because my dad, he worked as a registered nurse. And as such, he like would work around gay people. And I remember we would like start having like more and more conversations about queerness where he talked about how he had a doctor friend who was gay. And he was like, he was just like a, a person. And I was like, yeah, like gay people are people. Like you can, you probably know gay people right now in front of you, you know? <laughs> so right. I kept trying to like kind of open that You're door. You um, love like really close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in the driver's seat. Like <laughs> perhaps. I mean, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so we kind of kept, uh, we opened the door, we kind of kept getting like closer and closer and it was kind of, it was really devastating. So he unfortunately like ended up going to the hospital and slipping into a coma. So I never got to officially say anything to him, which is frustrating because I feel like even if he probably had an inkling, like he stopped asking me, when are you going to get married and things like that. But I always wanted to officially tell him and I... It's hard because I just didn't feel like I never got that chance. I feel like I just let that slip away. Oh, so then did you, did you have a chance to really tell him at some point? Like I said, so I sadly like didn't get to officially say anything, which sucks. Sorry, this is kind of a sad story. (laughs) What I, what I enjoy, okay, I'm going to be transparent a little bit. I heard that you have, um, that you have the opportunity to tell him at the funeral. Well, <laughs> yes. So, so. <laughs> this is where I think this is really a great story because I think the positive side is that I feel like you did tell him at some point. Whether he heard it or not is different, right? Yes. <laughs> That's true. So when he passed away, so at the at the funeral, at the wake itself, you know, everyone says their pleasantries and their niceties. 
And uh, when everyone left, it was just me alone with like my dad. And I just ended up having like, a weird 15 minute conversation with him just, you know, about how I was going to miss him and how, you know, I was glad that we got to just repair a lot of the kind of fractured relationships that we had. And then I remember whispering, oh, and by the way, I'm gay. And then I started laughing really hard, but then everyone could hear me. It was, so they thought I was just like sobbing and I was like, no, but also I can't explain that I'm laughing and why I'm laughing. <laughs> it was such a weird, demented experience to be like. <laughs> I actually thought, so no, I, I, I heard that story and I thought it was fun. I thought it was really a fun story. <laughs> and on top of that, I think it's really cute that, that you did have a chance to tell your dad. I think that is a powerful moment. And I'm sorry for your loss. At the same time, it's such a beautiful story that you got a chance to get to know your father before he passed, right? So, so many things with that. What does life look like since then, right? So, you're now doing comedy. You seem to have a resume now. How does your, <laughs> is your mom supportive now? Like, what does that look like? I would say that she is very supportive now, which is really nice. Because I think that that was, for me, that was kind of the hardest part. Like, I mean, again, as you and I'm sure as a lot of other listeners who are queer know, it's always so hard to have your family not be supportive of you and like, or even just be like, I guess tolerant of you is a better way to say They're like, is like disgusting in my mind. Like that's the part that I'm just like, wait, you're going to watch me get beat up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then come and tell me you love me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that <doesn't work. laughs> I'm over this. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I'm like, no, like don't just be taught. Try to understand, try to have empathy. Right. You know, like, I feel like that's the thing that's, so I just, I hate when people say that when they're like, oh, you know, like I'm tolerant of it. And it's like, no, that just means that you're like, okay, as long as I can put this in a box on a shelf that I don't have to talk about, then that's fine. Yeah. And I don't live in those friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And there was a whole thing around cargo, human cargo, like the way that you pack your human cargo. And I was like, oh, yes, I didn't really know that there was like an efficiency process for packing your human cargo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. And it's also such a repressive thing, too, to be like, okay, like, I may have feelings about this, but we're just never going to talk about it. And it's like, how unhealthy is that, you know? Ugh. But yeah, I would say she's been a lot more, she's a lot more supportive now, which is really nice. And I think that also a lot of it was like when I started like making headway and like started like, you know, doing like big festivals and doing like all these like wonderful gigs. And I got to headline like a gay cruise, which was really awesome. And I think that things like that, like, are what is what helped her to be like, okay, this is like a viable lifestyle and a viable yeah. career path. And even though you're not doing this conventional, like, you know, I have a picket fence and 2.5 kids and all that nonsense. She saw that like, oh, like what you do is a real thing that entertains people and also like just helps other people in terms of like helping other people who are like people of color and helping like, you know, LGBTQ folks to like see that, yes, like there are, you know, I can stand among you and like everything is fine. Like things get better. So I think it's, it's so interesting. Good. Do you have more blood relatives that are here in the U.S. or most of them back in the Caribbean still? So I would say it's roughly like a quarter 
are here in the U.S. and then like three quarters are like back in Jamaica and Haiti. Yeah, it's like about like that much. And I don't see my Jamaican relatives that much. Well, also COVID happens. <laughs> that's making it very difficult. <laughs> yeah, you know, killer viruses are. They're just killing all the travel plans. So I don't see them that often. Also with like my Jamaican relatives, they're like much more rural and conservative. But it's in general, like I didn't, I don't get to talk to them that much, but I haven't really gotten to come out to them. But it's also, they're, I would not call them like close family to me just because A, proximity and B, like just their way of thinking is just so radically different from like mine. So it's so interesting because like the way that people come to this country, the closer you are to immigration, I find that you have a different way of hardworking and you appreciate a little bit more of the elements of the U S and, you know, it's not until I travel and then come back that I realize I'm like, we have it pretty good here. <laughs> we have it pretty good in the U S that's why I would say like, you know, this has to be my favorite country now because <laughs> there's a reason why you keep living here. Right. If you really don't like it that much, you move. <laughs> Right? That's <laughs> kind of way it is, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I definitely appreciate the hard work ethic. And tell me more around do you have aspiring desires to have a kid and have a family? And or are you just planning to just take one day at a time and just figure out, you know, just love on people? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Well, these tubes are tied. I'm not having kids. That is just not in my plan. There's a lot of people that can relate to that statement. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so funny. I mean, it's something I have thought about, but I realize also just my lifestyle, doesn't it doesn't involve having kids. And I'm not like one of those people who's like anti-kid. Like, in fact, like like one of my best friends has two kids and like, they're very adorable, super cute. But for me, like I travel too much. And I also know that, I mean, my, in a lot of ways, my childhood is great, but I know that in also several ways, like there were a lot of like negative things that happened in my childhood. And it made me realize that parenting is freaking hard. And <laughs> it just takes a certain level of fortitude and just like organizational skills and also just sacrifice that I know that I don't have. And I'm not saying that in a selfish way, but again, yeah. It's true. I mean, it's just because, you know, I feel like parents like have to be responsible people. And like I said, I mean, I was having like almost sex in stairwells. Like I can't like change my life to like include, I don't that, know. That like, that it's, it, yeah, that it's might too be, much. Like that me. thought process like does cross, it's like I'm on the journey right now. Yeah, so like that, oh. that thought process does cross my mind. Like, ooh, parenting. One of my really, really, like my my best friend who is family to me was telling me about, you know, her school and the fourth and fifth graders are using the N-word with Black people. And <laughs> they're at a town hall and I was just like, I'm like, that just brought me back to like, my whole elementary school experience, I remember second grade, I remember being called the N-word. 
in that whole thought process around, oh my goodness, my kid could still have that same experience, even though it's going to be like 40 years later, like scares me, <laughs> you know, that, like that, that, that's just like, wow, that's, it's daunting, right? <laughs> yeah. It really is. And it's, I mean, like, I, it's so funny. I was on a bus the other day and I was hearing these like kids say the N word to each other and they were not black. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what I was like, like, oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild to me. Oh, <laughs> but first of all, congratulations. Well, thank you. But it's just, it's in the process. <laughs> it's not in the oven yet, <laughs> so to speak. But, you know, we're working. We're working through things. Good. I feel like you'd be a great parent. Like, you sound very, like, you know, patient and composed and, like. I'm glad I sound that way. I am totally not patient unless I have to be. <laughs> I am a very impatient person, but then the moment I'm like, okay, if I have to let go, I let go. Takes <laughs> 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 me, as people say. <laughs> well, you sound more patient than me. I mean, I feel like I can be patient, but I'm very scattered like i just locked myself out of my apartment like two days ago (laughs) and like it's like things like that that's why i'm like i can't have kids like you can't just like leave and then oh my god my baby's inside and i locked myself out it's my dad my dad would drive my dad would drive to work and you know i'd be sitting there in the car I don't remember the story, but apparently I've been told this. He would drive to work, and I'd be sitting in the car, and he'd get all the way to the office, and he'd forget, like, oh, my God, I'm supposed to drop him off. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can still wait. <laughs> you can still wait. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. I feel more confident now. I still won't have kids. Will not have kids, but I feel more confident. (laughs) But I also think it's interesting because I I feel like it's such a wild time now, both in a positive way and a negative way, because I think that in terms of the positive way, there's so many better resources for children now in terms of like, I mean... Again, as you know, like growing up black anytime before, even I would say 2000, 2006 was like such a wild fraught experience. And I like that now there's like so much better of a dialogue in terms of like, these are microaggressions. Like there's more than one way. It's not like being racist just means like someone's calling you the N word, like being racist involves such a like large spectrum. And I like the fact that now we have like dialogues about like how society, the way that our society is set up is so geared towards like cis white male hegemony, you know? And it's like, this is a society built for them. And I think that it's nicer now that when I see like a lot of kids or like, I'm occasionally on TikTok, I'm too old for it, but oh I'm But like, I'm I see TikTok. like, you know, oh wow. I like, kind of like it a little bit. I don't look at it very often because it's a, it's a black hole and I definitely, like I'm on it forever if I do get on, but my cousins turn me on to that. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, it's cute. Like, um, some younger comedians were the ones who got me on it. And I was like, okay, like, there, it, I was like, there is fun and it is fun stuff. But yeah, it can, 
like it's like you know a TikTok hole, and you're just stuck forever. But I like TikTok that. Like, that <laughs> I like that there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> It's wild, but I like that. Like, there's so many good, engaging conversations that the kids are having now, and I think that that's really amazing, and I love that. But on the negative aspect, I think that we're still—it's hard to raise. I mean, again, like with COVID, and I think that in a post-Trump America, you really just see so much ugliness, and I feel like that's kind of the part that's really hard to kind of reconcile with kids, where you have to explain, yeah, there are people who are just fucking evil in this world and just like absolutely hate you and for me i feel like that's the aspect that i find would be so hard to instill or teach a kid that there's just going to be a lot of homophobia and a lot of racism and a lot of just this and this is like something i was talking about last night some of the teachers at that school that i was telling you about they referred to calling someone the n-word as a microaggression I'm not sure if that's a microaggression. I feel like it's a macroaggression. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's a microaggression? I feel like that's more of a media aggression, <laughs> at least. Yeah, it, it's kind of a little bit above micro. If there's a, yeah, if there's a, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not ma- quite macro because macro would be like punching someone in the face. But. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> maybe there's a, a level between micro and macro. <laughs> yeah, media, media aggression, we're a mediocre aggression, you know. It's in there, it's not, it's not micro, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, 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 it is high key. I, I would say that, anyways. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I just feel like like that's the kind of stuff because I I think about like again for myself and like myself living in this society and even though things are better, like you still face things where you're like, oh, this is just uncomfortably homophobic or this is just uncomfortably racist or prejudiced. I mean, there's still times where like I do shows. Like for example, I did a show recently in Maine and it was really fun, but like the audience was like pretty much like all white people and no gay people. And so you kind of are like doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of being like, this is who I am. This is what I am like. And like, I'm not RuPaul, you know, things like that, that like you still have to deal with. And it's not that people are malicious. It's just that they don't know. But at the same time, it's tiresome when you have to constantly walk into a room and kind of explain yourself. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that I'm like, I feel like that would be really hard to have a kid in the world where it's like, listen, you have to understand that you are not a straight white man. And as such, you're going to have to present yourself to like the white society in a certain way. And I think that that's just a lot of emotional and physical. It's interesting because like, and I don't know if I'm just like a half, a half full glass, half full kind of person. I don't know who it was in my life, but an older person once told me that, society becomes more progressive over time. And so maybe that's my thought process that like my kids will live in a better world than me. And I don't, or they'll be able to experience better things than me. I don't know. It's just like, maybe I'm just too hopeful about that. I do. I hear you. And I relate to what you're saying because it's been rough. (laughs) But I do think that over time, <laughs> society will be better. Maybe, you know, maybe the inward experience will be a little better for my kids. No, that's horrible. 
<laughs> but um but yeah i mean i you know i've definitely i definitely realized that things don't change overnight but with every moment i really hope that uh society does get better so let me ask you this for the black lbtq kid now what would be your advice yeah first of all do you have advice for your younger self i just came up with this because I'm very sure oh, what your advice for your younger self would be. <laughs> and then secondly, in today's world, what advice would you give to the Black kid that hasn't come out yet? So for my younger self, my advice would be to learn to love yourself. I would say that because I think that... You can't love yourself I, someone else. I, 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 <laughs> Can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> yeah, keep going. Now we literally became RuPaul. <laughs> okay. I think that that's, that that's true. And I mean, I, I mean, I feel like that's also solid advice for any age, but I think that like in general, like growing up, I remember like having like a bit of a fair amount of self-confidence. And then kind of like, as I got older and again, and I got into more predominantly white spaces. I think that it made me feel a certain way and it made me feel very much like the odd man out and like I had to conform and I had to like kind of handle these microaggressions and also be like scared of queerness. And I think that if anyone who like, if you learn to love yourself and own yourself fully, then you can just be a better, more realized person and be like, you know what? I don't care about what like this person says or I don't care what this person thinks. Like, fuck them. Like I'm here on my own path. So that's what I would say to my younger self. And then to the young, to a young black kid who is not out, well, A, also love yourself, but B, also, I would also say, you know, don't be so scared about what your blood family thinks. I would say that it's all, I mean, again, I don't want to use chosen family, but like, it's all about like the people who you build around you and understand that the people who you build around you, if you have a wonderful base, then it's going to be a lot harder for you to be hurt. And so you your army, be yourself in your army. Like, never... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. Create a fortress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Serves you well. <laughs> no, I like that. That's that. That's that's good advice. Yeah, I'm gonna take that in actually as myself because we, I have a younger black gay me <laughs> inside. <laughs> I actually kind of appreciate that. No, I have my insecure moments. You know, I think we all do as humans, right? So it's it's always fun to like talk to people. Oh, yeah. This this for me is like completely therapeutic. By the way, I feel like I talk to therapists on the regular because I'm talking to other people and just like finding out their story and learning about them and applying and i don't know i've enjoyed talking to you and i wonder if it's the black gay connection or just i just enjoy talking to you i i don't know either way take it at face i enjoy talking to you it can be both <laughs> all of so, it um, with that said um thank you so much for a great time on the show and i look forward to witnessing your journey and laughing with you but if if I'm watching your show and <laughs> and you're not with me, am I still laughing with you? Am I laughing at you? I don't know. But either way, I'm, I, I look forward to watching your journey. So thank you. 
Thank you. Listen, as long as you laugh and the check clears, that's all that matters. So. <laughs> On that note, out. I love it. As long as you laugh and the check clears. Boom. Clear. Oh, my God. Awesome. <laughs> Cheers, man. Thank you so much. Do you just feel like there is no air left to breathe? Do you just wanna to be left outside the grave? It's all for sure, I didn't know, I wonder what it meant to be.